As I mentioned, I uh, invite you to join me in the book of Proverbs chapter 27. Uh, every year all around the world, there are beauty pageants and competitions, and women are crowned this and that. Uh, for example, Miss America, Miss Australia, Miss Russia, Miss Jamaica, Miss Universe, uh, and whoever else. And apparently this is no new phenomenon. Uh, actually, we have record of one of these beauty competitions recorded in Scripture when King Ahasuerus in the book of Esther was looking for a new wife. Uh, he got tired and frustrated with the old one and decided, I'm going to have a beauty contest of everyone in my kingdom, and I'm going to find the be- most beautiful woman in all the land, and she'll be my new queen. Physical beauty is so highly prized in our society, uh, but truly beautiful women, we might say, are rare, at least when we uh, consider that from God's standard. Uh, over the summer thus far, we've been looking at what the Bible says about building healthy homes. And we are at the point now where we're looking at the various people that make up the home. We started uh, actually with three sermons on the home itself. What does the book of Proverbs say about that? And we've uh, had one sermon devoted to what it says about men. Uh, Today the focus will be women. And then we'll have two more sermons, one about parents and one regarding children. Uh, Books like Proverbs remind and instruct us about what a wise woman, wife, and mother looks like and does. And if If you are a woman, God certainly wants you to succeed in your God-given role, and he's here, uh, there, so to speak, to help you do that. Uh, So God gives us, in the book of Proverbs, what we're going to see today is that God actually gives us a picture of a truly beautiful woman by his standard, and that's the standard that we want to consider. At the end of the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, verse 30, we read this statement, charm is deceitful. And beauty is vain. And the idea there is that it's fleeting or it's passing, it's transitory. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And what we're going to do here this morning, we're just going to work our way through a few verses in Proverbs, making eight observations about the picture that God gives us of a truly beautiful woman, particularly as that relates to the home. Uh, First observation about this woman's picture uh, is that she does not look contentious. Uh, if you're, hopefully you're there in Proverbs chapter 27. In just a moment, we'll look at verses 15 and 16. Uh, but when we look carefully at this woman's picture, the, the picture that God gives us of a truly beautiful woman, uh, maybe we should just notice for a moment what you don't see. You'll notice that there are certain characteristics that you will not find in her. And you may find them in other people, other women, but not her. Notice that she does not look contentious. She's not nagging, quarrelsome, and unpleasant. And there are actually four or five Proverbs uh, in this book that all kind of address that same theme. We're just going to look at one of these verses this morning, but she doesn't look contentious. After all, such a woman is unbearable. Look at Proverbs um, 27, verse 15 with me. It says that a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife or woman are alike. So the picture is something like this. A woman's husband, uh, he comes home from the storm that's outside. And he's been fighting the elements all day long. And now he's coming to what he thinks is going to be his warm, comfortable, pleasant, peaceful, dry shelter. From everything that's out there in the world that he's been living in all day. He's coming to his home. And no sooner than he sits down in his rocking chair by the fire in the corner of the room to get warm, he notices something. And it's a drip, drip, drip. And he goes, oh, his roof is leaking. No, it's not his roof. It's his wife. 
Nothing is ever right. Drip. Nothing is ever good enough. Drip. When are you going to? Drip. Why haven't you? I thought you said drip, drip, drip. Don't you know that I've been drip, drip, drip? And we know this because this is a reality. Drip, 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 drip. And she's not exactly the storm outside, but she's consistent, irritating, and annoying. And after a while, it's unbearable. And her husband moves from chair to chair in the, in the room, and then he moves from room to room and floor to floor in the house, uh, trying to sit down and get rest. And yet everywhere he goes, he keeps getting wet. And eventually he thinks to himself, I should just go right back outside in the rain because I'm getting wet in here anyway, and this woman is about to drive me crazy. Such a woman is unbearable, and such a woman, we might also say, is unpredictable. She's likened to the wind. Verse 16 says, To restrain her is to restrain the wind, or to grasp oil in one's right hand. You you can't restrain the wind. That's impossible, because the wind is elusive. It can gust at any moment, and like the wind, that's what this woman is like. She can swirl and bite and blow at any given moment out of nowhere. She's the perfect storm. Such a woman would be unbearable and she's unpredictable and she would also be uncontrollable. It can't be done. You can't control her. Verse 16 says, To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Uh, Have you ever tried maybe working in your kitchen just to grab a handful of olive oil and just hold on to it? That's the picture. You can't do that. And that's how she's being described. She's slippery and unstable, and she can't be managed or stabilized, we might say that she's a loose cannon. In verses 15 to 16, uh, the man's place of refuge and protection, his home, has turned into a storm. And he and the children find themselves regularly assaulted by a nagging woman who just never lets up, just like a continual dripping of water on a rainy day. And, And God is quite clear, that is not my plan for your home. That is not what I want your home to be like. A few weeks back, I went on a little fishing trip uh, up to Pinehurst Lake, if you know where that is at, and I decided that I was going to sleep in the the bed of my truck because it's got a big canopy on the back of it. And after a very fun but long, hot day on the lake, uh, I crawled into my sleeping bag there in the back of my truck, excited to get a little bit of sleep before another full day of fishing. And all was quiet. You know how those days are where you're physically just really tired and worn out because of the sun? And so here I am, going to get a few hours of sleep, and all is quiet, and I hear this little noise in the back of my truck. You know, it's all dark. I can't see what it is, but I can feel it, you know. It's smack right on the side of the face. Oh, there's one mosquito down. You know, other side, like just, and it kept going and going and going and going. The onslaught of mosquitoes was unrelenting and unbearable. And finally, I decided, you know what, I'm going to turn on my flashlight, and I'm going to get every mosquito in the back of my truck with my sandal. And so I got the light and they're all congregating towards the light and it's just boom, boom, boom on the top of the canopy, mosquitoes, blood, the works, you know, how it goes. Um, But it was useless because they kept coming in everywhere. And finally at three in the morning after hardly sleeping a wink, I crawled out of my truck, uh, frustrated. I sprayed my entire body in bug spray, especially my face. And that's the type of effect as we look at this verse, that the woman described is having in her home. And it's not a pretty picture. 
And by God giving us an, a negative example, I think what he's really giving us too simultaneously is, is the picture of what a, a truly beautiful woman looks like. And she doesn't look contentious. The beautiful woman that we're looking at is characterized by peace and harmony and blessing. And so I, I would encourage uh, you ladies as you think about your home, what is your home like? And how can you make your home a place of warmth and retreat from the elements uh, outside instead of a place that makes people actually just want to go back into those very same elements again? Uh, By the way, most men like to spend their time in places where they feel like they can succeed and where they feel like they can win. And the reality is that from a man's perspective, oftentimes he feels like I can go out into all the elements And I can go out and I can wrestle and fight the thorns and the thistles outside in this broken world and the curse and all of that. And I can win outside my home. And yet, inside my home, I feel like it's the very opposite. This is a place where I can't win. And when they come home, they sometimes feel like it's a losing battle when a wife is characterized as this verse describes. And often they just end up going uh, back to the place that they feel like they can win. And it makes sense when you you look all the way back to the book of Genesis because God put Adam in the garden and he said, Adam, what you're going to do is you're going to work it. You're going to work hard and you're going to cultivate something and you're going to build something and you're going to work and then you're going to keep what you worked for. You're going to maintain it. You're going to preserve what you you, uh, cultivated. And God's hardwired mankind to be that way and and to find that satisfying and and fulfilling. And when someone goes to their home and goes, everything is wrong. You haven't done this. You haven't done that. Well, I can't win in this space. I want to go win somewhere. And the reality is, your husband may need someone to challenge him on some things. He may not be particularly godly. These may be real things that need brought up. But you don't want to do that through nagging him. And sometimes it's even best for these things to come up from another person altogether. You don't want to fight the flesh with the flesh. What you want to do is bring up the real problems that truly need addressed. And there are In any marriage, in any home, there are many of those things. You want to bring up the real problems that truly need addressed, and you want to do it in biblical ways. You don't don't want to go, well, I'm really frustrated by what my husband is doing, and I think he's being ungodly, and now I'm going to respond with ungodliness. You want to examine your own heart first and make sure that you're calm and spirit-filled, and try to follow biblical principles of humbly addressing whatever the concern is and stay away from making accusations and consider your timing and all, all those kinds of just practical things. Also, much like what we saw with men and how they speak to their wives, uh, you want to express to your husband regularly uh, what's right. You don't, you don't want him to question whether or not he's appreciated in his, home, in his own home. And maybe, maybe you could just think about a, a set of ancient scales for a second. And as the drip, drip, drip falling on one side of the scales and weighing way, way more than the positive. Do your verbal scales tip more towards appreciation or criticism? Uh, we saw that as, as we looked at men in Proverbs 31. And her hus- this woman, her husband praises her. He verbally praises her. And the same thing is true when we go to the flip side now with women. Our home should be a pra- place where we use our words to praise and encourage and show appreciation. And not a place of constant criticism. A second observation about this beautiful woman's portrait is that she does not look like she lacks taste. Uh, The word would be discretion. Turn to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22. A truly beautiful woman has this thing called discretion. 
And in order for us to really appreciate the picture that God gives us, he places uh, this beautiful woman's picture right next to the picture of another woman. And when we look at this other woman's picture, we go, oh, you know, I'm not sure that's actually a woman. That's a pig with a really, really nice nose ring. Proverbs 11 verse 22 says, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion or without taste. She abandons her taste. These verses bring two things together that really don't go together. And the first item is something quite beautiful. It's a beautiful, costly uh, nose ring that's meant to beautify a woman, the person wearing it. People wear these today, and they're quite, they were quite common in ancient culture. And the second item is, is something stinky and gross, a pig. Uh, Each year growing up, I went to something called the 4-H Fair. It was a large agricultural event. And you could go through and you could see all kinds of animals. People would be showing horses and cows and pigs and goats and sheep and all kinds of animals and such. And each year they would crown uh, the largest pig. And when I say the largest pig, I'm talking about a huge pig. Uh, that would usually top the scale somewhere at 900, 1,000, or 1,100 pounds. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I love that stuff. Just this massive, big old, stinky, ugly pig just laying there. Like glory, right? Like that's a glorious sight. Not, <laughs> not really. There's nothing quite like a big old fat, stinky pig eating garbage and wallowing around in the mud. So you've got the picture in your head, right? We all know what a pig looks like. And now go put a nice, valuable, uh, large, diamond-studded nose ring in that pig's snout. It's kind of a funny picture, right? You just kind of chuckle. Those two things don't go together. A beautiful woman is like the beautiful nose ring and her indiscretion or her lack of moral tastefulness or judgment is like a big old stinky pig, Solomon says. So here's a question. Does the nose ring beautify the pig? Or does the pig destroy the beauty of the ring? Which way, which direction does it work? Outward beauty can never cover for a stinking last, a lack of taste and, and moral discretion. One writer captures the sense of this verse well, I think. He says, Having left whatever sensible judgment or moral behavior this woman once cultivated and or had, It implies that she has turned herself into a boorish animal in her dress, speech, and behavior. God gives us a picture of a beautiful, beautiful woman, and and she doesn't look like this pig. She doesn't look like she lacks good taste. She has taste. She has good judgment. She has sensibility. And she knows what's proper uh, morally and socially and so on. On the contrary, a piggish woman has a faulty sense of what's right and wrong and what's morally acceptable and what's socially acceptable and what's appropriate to the moment. She has no propriety. And one of the things that Solomon's going to do in this book again and again is just remind of the importance of it's, it, it's so much more than the outside. It's so much more than the external. God cares about inward grace. Number three, third observation is that she does not look aggressive. Uh, You can turn to Proverbs chapter 30, verses 21 to 23. Uh, I say she doesn't look aggressive. Uh, She may be quite competitive. She might want to succeed and win at whatever she does. uh, And that's great. But that's not what these verses 
are about. Um, what the verses that we are about to look at condemn is a woman who aggressively goes after what does not belong to her and pursues what is not hers to have. Proverbs chapter 30, look with me at verses 21 to 23. These verses describe scenarios that turn the natural order of things upside down in a bad way. Verse 21 says, Under three things the earth trembles, and under four it cannot bear up. These sorts of things really shake up the order of things. And one of them comes in verse 23. We read about a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. And here we have a woman, and the idea that we get is that she's working in another woman's house. And she sees some space to jump uh, in between this woman and her husband, and she aggressively goes for it. And she does that very thing, and she displaces this other woman in her own home and in her own marriage. And the Bible says, that's not okay. You can't do that. That's not attractive. That's not beautiful. God gives us the picture of a truly beautiful woman, and she does not look like that. She is not aggressive. She's safe, and she's trustworthy. She knows what's hers and, and what's not, and she doesn't dabble somewhere in between. And so maybe some appropriate questions would be things like this. Are you a flirt in a bad way? Can you be trusted around other women's husbands? This is important. And along very similar lines, observation number four about her portrait is she does not look adulterous. Turn all the way back to Proverbs chapter 2. Verses 16 to 19. Solomon went to great lengths to warn his son in the early chapters of Proverbs against the, uh, the adulterous forbidden woman. And son, she's dangerous. She's a death trap. Don't go near her. Look at Proverbs 2, verses 16 to 19. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. She forgets that her marriage is a covenant. Verse 18, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. This picture of this beautiful woman, uh, she doesn't look adulterous. She's faithful. She's loyal to her own husband, to her own family. So what does she look like? I mean, we've been looking at her picture saying, well, you're not going to note this. You're not going to note that. You don't see this. So what do you see? Obser observation number five. She looks constructive and she looks wise. Uh, turn over to chapter 14, verse 1. We've looked at this verse a couple times already in this study. Uh, and I want to go back to it just for a moment here this morning. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1 describes a woman uh, and says this, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Uh, the truly beautiful woman that God gives us a picture of, she, she's two things. She's both wise and she is constructive. And yes, she's that way in her home. That's the focal point of this particular verse, and we've seen that already. But surely we could say that that characterizes her all over the place. She has God's wisdom because she's a woman of the Bible. She, she reads her Bible. She spends time with God in the pages of his word. And she wants to know him. And she uh, speaks to others 
who know God's word. And she goes and seeks counsel from others that can give her uh, biblical wisdom and help her understand uh, how to take God's truth and how to apply it in everyday life. She personally walks with God and she's a builder. And what way does she build? Well, she's going to build relationships. She's going to build people. She's going to build and cultivate uh, healthy environments. And you can see the positive work of her hands. Uh, I went to a Christian school growing up where we had a middle school boys Bible class. And the first five minutes of that class every day were focused on us learning manners. Important thing for middle school boys. Uh, Just five minutes. Here's a manner for you. You should learn to apply it. (laughs) And uh, as you can imagine, it was quite needed. And one of the manners that I remember learning went something like this. Always leave a place in the same condition or better than when you arrived. So um, the, the teacher uh, of that class, he was also the high school soccer team coach, and he said, so it'd be like this. When our, our middle school soccer team or our high school soccer team goes and we travel on an away game and we're all on the bus and we're coming back home and we stop at Wendy's for dinner and all these teams get off the bus and go in to eat, um, you need to leave that restaurant in a certain way. You need to leave it clean and tidy and orderly, maybe even nicer than it was when you sat down. Your chair's pushed in, the table's cleaned up. And that's what we see this woman doing. And I'm not referring to cleaning, by the way, uh, but to all the situations and environments of her life. The effect that she has on things is to make them better. The effect that she has is, is not negative. It's not even neutral. It's, it's a positive effect. That's her goal. That's her desire. That's what she's aiming for. God gives us the picture of a truly beautiful woman. She looks constructive and wise. And so I want to ask you, ladies, are you personally walking with God and spending time with him in his word so that you can know him better and you can absorb and gain and glean his wisdom for all the various parts and aspects of life and decisions that you'll need to make? And what effect do you have on the settings and environments and situations and relationships that you enter? And how can you be uh, a better builder or construction worker in your home and in all the settings that God has put you? The sixth observation about this woman is that she looks gracious and generous. Uh, You can turn to chapter 11, verse 16. And this time... The picture of this beautiful woman that God gives us is placed beside some very, very ugly men for sake of contrast. Start by looking with me at how the men are described. Proverbs 11 verse 16 says that a gracious woman gets honor. And then notice what he says about a group of men. And violent men get riches. The men that we see here, how do they, they gain wealth and how do they gain it? They gain it through violence. They seize financial gain by any means available. They get to the top, or they climb the ladder, and they get there through ruthlessness. They're ruthless, violent, and they strike terror into the hearts of their victims. And what's at the top of the ladder for them? They get to the top, and what's up there? Riches. That's what they gain. And the woman that we see, she's set in contrast to that. She's the very antithesis of what we see in those men. And she, too, gets to the top of something. She, too, somehow happens to find herself at the top of some ladder, so to speak. And rather than climbing that ladder through violence and greed, she climbs to a position of honor, not wealth, 
through graciousness and generosity. Uh, Ruthlessness is not the only way to the top. And our estimation of what the top is or what it should be is not always what God thinks it should be. This woman is kind-hearted and giving, and honor is her reward. It is the reward of the gracious, kind-hearted person. Um, I mentioned middle school. I thought middle school was just the greatest. I loved it. Um, I was just hanging out with my friends, literally did not care about girls at all. It was just, life was just a good time in middle school. Um, And you know how middle school boys are. They're just cluelessly having fun. And when my wife and I got married, I remember how surprised I were when her and I, we started talking about middle school one day. And I was like, oh, I just like, that was probably one of my favorite times growing up middle school. It's just so much fun. She's like, really? I hated middle school. No. Why? Like, it was, what was there to hate about middle school? She's like, middle school was awful. She's like, middle school girls are just nasty and catty. What does catty mean? I don't even know. That's not a, but apparently that's what they're like. She's like, oh, it was terrible. And I I think as we look at this verse and the woman that we see, she's the opposite of that. God gives us a picture of a truly beautiful woman and she looks gracious and she looks generous. Her words are gracious and generous. Her deeds are, they're, they're full of grace and generosity. Her thoughts towards other people, even the ones that don't come out of her, out her mouth, are often full of grace and generosity. And so maybe if I could speak to some of you young ladies for a moment, those of you who might be in middle school or high school, are you like that? You know, trying to climb some ladder through anything and everything but graciousness and generosity. Oh, I'll make myself look good by putting other people down. I'll tear other people apart. You know, every other girl may play that game, and that is not a game that you want to, to have any part of. This is not what God portrays as good. And whether you're a young lady still in middle school or high school, or you are an adult woman, are you characterized Uh, like this positively, where you are a person, as you interact with others, it's with grace. And it's with generosity. And God says, when a a woman is like that, what happens actually is what she gains is honor. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Seventh observation. She looks virtuous and capable. You probably wondered if we were going to end up in Proverbs 31. And so here we go. Um, And we're going to look at this at a very high level and we'll consider the many ways that this woman is that, virtuous and capable. We often refer to the Proverbs 31 woman as the virtuous woman. And I think that probably is because that's how the King James Version of the Bible refers to her in verse 10. Uh, That verse in the King James Bible reads this way, and it asks a question, who can find a virtuous woman? And there's no question that this woman is arrayed in almost every virtue. I don't think there's really debate about that. However, virtue does not really capture the fullness of the Hebrew word uh, that's behind it. The primary meaning of the word that's translated virtue is actually the idea of capacity or power. Uh, The CSB uh, version translates verse 10, Who can find a capable wife or a capable woman. The Proverbs 31 woman is an extremely, extremely capable uh, woman. 
This isn't first and foremost focusing on her virtue. It's highlighting how capable she is. And how does this play out? Well, in many ways, we'll just kind of fly over this text really fast. She benefits and honors her husband. Now look at verses 10 and 12, 10 to 12. An excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Uh, her husband is, is better off because of her, which is, you know, the case for so many of us. The state we would be in without our wives would be truly atrocious. <laughs> but he's way, way better off, and he's enriched because of her. And from his perspective, he can't even quantify her value, value and how precious she is to him. She benefits him in all kinds of ways, and uh, has immense, he has immense confidence in her. Look at verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The, the city gates are like the public square. And whatever this woman does, it only helps to elevate her husband's rep- reputation. Probably makes it better, uh, and it does not detract from his reputation. Also, we see that she faithfully cares for her family. Uh, look at verses 14 and 15. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So we, we just see her very simply there feeding her family and others. Uh, look at verses 21 and 22. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Okay, so what's she doing there? She's clothing her family and others of her house. And down to verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's, she's just caring for the needs of her house. Uh, we see as well that she works diligently and intelligently. Look at verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Uh, no one's nudging her to work. This is a woman who does things. This is a woman who gets things done and accomplishes things. Look at verses 16 to 19. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Uh, She's hardworking. She's intelligent. I think we could say from those verses, she's enterprising. Look at verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Uh, Her work ethic is awesome. The quality of her work is superb. And on top of all that, she's kind and she is noble. Look at verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's kind-hearted. Just like we saw in a previous verse, this is her. And she's loving and compassionate. There's a softness to her. She's not like a sharp edge and prickly and like she is full of compassion and then look at verses 25 and 26 strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue she conducts herself in a way that you can't help but respect her and that's how the chapter ends we see that she's held in high regard by other people look at verses 28 to 31 it says there, concluding everything that's said about her, that her children rise up and they call her blessed. And her husband does too. And he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all, it's said of her. 
Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Her life speaks for itself. Uh, She's held in high regard by other people throughout the days of her life, and she appears to be the type of person that at her funeral, people view as having made a great, great impact. But not because she did any one particular thing that was extraordinarily great, but because of the sum effect of all of the little things. Uh, God gives us a picture of a beautiful woman, and she looks virtuous, uh, she looks capable, but we can't stop there. In what direction are this beautiful woman's capabilities channeled? Are all of her capabilities and all of her energies channeled towards self? Well, no, absolutely not. I mean, we read this chapter and we come to the exact opposite conclusion. This woman directs her capabilities, strengths, and energies towards other people. And that's observation number eight. She looks selfless and loving. She's highly, highly capable. And yet all of her capabilities and all of her energies are directed towards the good and the benefit of other people, particularly those of her own house. I think that there, um, I think that this is where much of the modern feminist movement has gone astray. The problem is not that it's categorically wrong for a woman to work outside the home. Use Proverbs 31, you'd have a really hard time making that case. That's not the issue. The problem is not that it's categorically wrong for a woman to pursue uh, further education and training and a degree or anything like that. Not a problem. The problem is not that it's categorically wrong for a woman to be successful in business or whatever else. This woman is enterprising. You cannot look at Proverbs 31 and come to those kind of conclusions. You just cannot do it. Unfortunately, the modern feminist movement has often conveyed the message, though, of this. This is about you and your fulfillment and your achievement. And the whole message has been self-focused and that seemingly small nuance is the difference that sets a truly beautiful woman apart from all the rest. And so ladies, I think the question that you want to ask is this. At this phase of my life, and you're going to be in different phases for sure, but at this phase of my life and this phase of my family's life, how can I best use my capabilities and my energies which are limited for the good of others. And you know, that's not always going to look like your personal fulfillment and self-actualization, just like we saw with men. But do you know what it will look like? It's going to look a lot like Jesus. You look at Proverbs 31 and you're like, I'm not sure this isn't a normal woman. <laughs> you know, like this, like I feel like we're reading about Jesus. And it does seem that way, right? Like th- these are types of things that people are trying to grow in haven't attained. God gives us this picture. She looks selfless and loving. And so maybe just to work through a a few different life phases, some of you sit here and you're married and you have kids. And I think a question would be, how can you best leverage your capabilities, whatever those are, and your energies, and whatever they are, and 
whatever degree you have those energies or don't, how can you take your capabilities and energies and leverage them for the good of others and eternity in your particular situation? If you're married with kids, we see this woman, her capabilities and energies are primarily going towards the people of her house. She recognizes, I, I have to focus there. Um, at, at least in a significant way. This is important. Um, Maybe you're married with no kids. How can you best leverage your capabilities and energies for the good of others in eternity? And that may look different than another lady with a house full of kids. And that's awesome. Both are awesome. Maybe you're single. How can you do it? How can you leverage your capabilities and energies for the good of others in eternity? God's given us all different situations. Uh, He's wired us and gifted us and given us different strengths and energies and physical abilities. Some of you are healthier than others and all, all kinds of things. In your setting, how can you leverage that whole deal, whatever it is, whatever God has given you, and say, I'm going to leverage this for the good of other people and for eternity? And may, maybe you don't even have a family and a home. That's great. How can you take all that and benefit other people? You're in a unique spot that could truly be used uh, for eternity. We all are. And we just want to look at our situations and go, God, I, I don't want this to be about me. I want to love other people. And whatever God has given you, however he has arranged your life, take it and use it for everything that it's worth to love God and love others. And that is a truly, truly beautiful picture. Proverbs 31 ends by saying this in verse 30, that a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I think we want to remember as we look at all this so that this isn't just some kind of lesson on morals and whatever else that what that verse talks about is where it all begins and where everything traces back to. Um, A woman that fears the Lord is to be praised. This woman didn't wake up one day and look like this. What we see of her in Proverbs 31 and all over the book of Proverbs, and, and same with the men and parents and children, all these different people that we're going to look at, nobody just wakes up and now they're like this good human being that does the right thing. And even if they try to be really, really good, what does it matter? Proverbs ties all of this back to the fear of the Lord. It, it all begins with a personal relationship with the Lord, with Jesus. And anything that, that's good in this woman's life has come from, from him working in and through her. And maybe you've heard this message this morning. You go, okay, I just need to, I need to be a better woman today, you know? Like, I'm doing okay over here, and I'm going to try to be better in this way. That's not the message that the Bible conveys. And what you need is not just to try harder and do better. You're not going to earn God's favor. You're not going to make him happy by doing that. What God wants you to have is a relationship with him. And where that all begins is through Jesus Christ. You can't be good enough. You can't be what God wants you to be. It all begins with a relationship of Jesus, with Jesus Christ. And whether you're a man or a woman, that's where it starts. And the Bible is quite clear that we've all failed in what God has called us to do and be. None of us measure up to the standard, which is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, uh, God in the flesh, to come to earth and live perfectly, perfectly, and never, ever sin, and and live lovingly and leverage all that uh, he could in his life for the good and benefit of others. And then ultimately he went to the cross and he died to pay for for your sins and for my sins and to pay the price for those so that we could be cleansed and washed clean of all of our filth. 
and failure and shortcomings. And that's where it all starts is recognizing, one, I'm not good enough. I will never be good enough. I can never attain God's favor. I can never be the man, woman, child, parent, mother, father that God wants me to be by myself. I can't. I'm a sinner. And to go to God and acknowledge that and say, God, I'm a sinner. I do deserve your, your condemnation. Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? I deserve your wrath. And through what Jesus did, will you save me? Will you make me clean and will you make me whole? And God does that and when he does, he gives you his spirit. He comes and he lives within you and then from the inside, he starts to work on you. Man, woman, child, whoever you are, that's how it goes. And so this woman that we see, she's been walking with Jesus and as she's done that and she's tried to read his word and grow from the inside out, God's been changing her and that's a journey. What's described in Proverbs is not natural. It's the byproduct of the Spirit of God at work within a person. And so as we wrap up, I want to ask you, is the Spirit of God in you? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? And if you have the Spirit of God, is the Spirit of God changing you because you're cooperating and you're going to the Word and you're saying, God, change me, God, help me? I hope you are. And I hope by God's grace that our church will be full of growing women who each day are more and more reflecting the glory of their Savior, Jesus Christ.